Welcome back to the start of Safer Shoftim. Our learning is de- dedicated to for all those in need, and a special mazel tov to our group and newcomers as well, and starting Safer Shoftim. So what, what are the, uh, the big differences? Well, obviously, the uh, color of the background has changed for our new Safer. Uh, PowerPoint is very kind. There are six versions, and we have six svarim. We're going to learn together in the Vim Rishonim. So uh, each each Sefer will get its new background. But I, I think the biggest difference really with Sefer Shoftim is that Yehoshua has a very exciting start to the Sefer. And then there's a deep message that we found in each and every Perek. And, and Baruch Hashem, I think that message keeps the Sefer new, it keeps the Sefer fresh, and it keeps the Sefer exciting. Sefer Shoftim doesn't need that. Sefer Shoftim has not a dull moment. Every single story is action-packed, is powerfully filled with information. And so we jump in right away. Now, this year might be a little bit longer than a typical one because we are doing two in one. We're doing an introduction, which is not a short one, and then we're actually going to learn all of Parak Aleph. So bear with me as we begin. Here is our introduction. Sefer Shoftim. You might actually remember that Sefer Shoftim uh, book if you are of my age. That was the most common studying Sefer when we were kids. Sefer Shoftim. What does Sefer Shoftim mean? What is a Shofet? So typically we translate a Shofet as a judge, the book of judges. Are they really judges? It's a good question. When we think of judges... In America, we think of the gavel, we think of the, the court um, that's kept in order by both the judge and, and the, and the uh, officer of the people. There's a lot going on there. Perhaps uh, in, if you're talking about England, you're talking about the, the wigs and the black robe. Are they really judges? A judge actually has the ability to kind of move things in the right direction. You're guilty. You're innocent. Change the way you are. If you don't change, I'm sending you to jail. But that's not really the theme of Sefer Shoftim. In fact, when we learn Parak Bet next week, we're going to see the Ma'agal HaShoftim, the cycle of the judges. And one of the things that we'll notice is it's very rare that they actually really do tshuva. They get better, but there's no changing of the ways. So what will be a better way to, uh, to explain it? Perhaps a better way to explain it would be that it is a savior. The Shoftim are saviors. What they do is they come along in a tough time and they figure out a way to get the Jewish people back on track enough so that the enemy that's there at the moment will disappear. And that enemy will remain in the backdrop and then a new one will come in shortly thereafter. That perhaps is a better idea of what a shofet is. I think we all agree that a savior is probably a more accurate portrayal. So we're going to begin Sefer Shoftim today. And what are we going to use to learn? We're going to use, obviously, the Mikros Kedolos with all the Mepharshim, Rashi, the Radak, the Ibn Ezra, the Al-Bag, the Malbim. The reason why I like specifically this set of Mikros Kedolos because it has in it the Abarbanel as well. We're also going to be drawing a lot from Michael Hatton, his book, Judges. 
when I did this uh, nine years ago, 10 years ago, the first cycle, the book wasn't out yet. In his introduction, he's quick to uh, thank all those people for being patient and waiting to see what actually happened to Shimshon. So I'm actually very grateful that this time around, we're going to be able to learn the entire Sefer through the eyes of Mike, Rabbi Michael Hatton. In addition, we have Sefer Oz Vanava, which we used a lot in the last Sefer. Ravigal Ariel on Yoshua and Shoftim, another fantastic work. And Ishli Shivto by Rev Avram Remmer. All four of these will be the main sources we'll use, but sometimes we find obscure places in the virtual base matters of the Gush or other articles online. We certainly will be using those as well. Okay, so let's dive into our introduction. This is a, a, uh, a chart that you might be somewhat familiar with. There was a much older version of it uh, that sat on the, the walls of most elementary school buildings that were learning Sefer Shoftim in the, uh, in the 80s and the 90s, and even in the 2000s. Um, to reminisce about the first time around as we were learning, it actually was on my dining room wall for most of Sefer Shoftim. So kudos uh, to my wife for having the patience to put up with me. But this is an important chart. It's each Shofet, their Shevet, and the number of years that they are the leaders of the Jewish people. Now, keep in mind, they are the leaders of the Jewish people. That's the quiet. That's when the enemy is, is shooed away. But there is lots of time in between. They suffer. The Jews suffer. Along comes the Shofet. And it's quiet for 40 years. Then they suffer again. Why? Because they sin. Along comes the next Shofet. And it's peace and quiet for 80 years. If you add up all the shoftim from Atniel, all it is Shimshon, Eli is not really a Shofet. You'll come up to about 300 years. You'll come up to about 300 years. Sorry, we have technical difficulties a bit today. 300 years. That's important because if you actually take into account of the fact that the Jews sin and the Jews mess up and the Jews do a lot of bad things, the number should be much greater than 300 for the period of the Shoftim. So let's, let's suggest a couple points to ponder. First off, were these Shoftim overlapping or at distinct times? Meaning, is it possible that some of the Shoftim, especially towards the end when the Shoftim are minor figures, is it possible that Ivtsan and Elon Azvuluni and Avdon and Hillel, and Sh is it possible that maybe there is some overlap between the two of them or the three of them? Similarly, are these the only Shoftim that we have? Now, later on, in one of this farm, I believe in Shmuel, they talk about a Shofet named Bidan. Who's Bidan? So there, the Gemara says, now who's Bidan? Take a look at the chart. Who on this chart would obviously be the prime candidate to be Bidan? Bid from Dan. Who's Bidan? Who's from Dan? Shimshon Gibor. But is it possible that Bidan is actually a different Shofet? Is it possible that we have more than these Shofet? Now, also, really a fascinating thing to see is if you count from Atniel all the way down to Shimshon Agibor, the last of the typical Shoftim, this is what you come out with. There are 13 Shoftim on the list. The problem is that Abimelech is in a Shoftim. He's a tyrant who's going to go and kill most of his family. 
12. There's 12 shoftim. Is there any significance to the fact that there are 12 shoftim? Now, there in Judaism, certain numbers have significance. Three. If you wait three days, we had this back in Sefer Yoshua, three days is a time of contemplation. It's a time of thinking. The number seven represents totality. Eight, lemala min ha-teva. Ten is, if seven is the cycle of completion in nature, ten is the, it's a unit. Even today, in every country in the world, we have this, uh, debate on Friday night with a Canadian at our table. Every country in the world has a base 10 system, except for the good old US of A. That 10 is completion. It's a full unit. What's 12? 12 in Judaism is not the months because we don't need to have, we don't always have 12 months. In fact, seven out of every 19 years don't have 12 months. They have 13 months. And seven out of 19 years, only seven to 12, we're not that far off. 12 is the Shvatim, the unity of the people. Isn't it fascinating that when Sefer Shoftim decides to write down that we have the Shoftim, that they choose to publish in their book, written by none other than Shmuel, which is significant. Shmuel's writing this at the end of his life as the Jewish people have asked for a king. When all that happens, he chooses to insert 12 on about one per Shevet. Also, it's interesting to note that Atniel, Ehud, Dvorah, Gido, 40 years, 80 years. And then Yerida Sadoro, the numbers go down, 6, 7, 10, 8. Does that matter? Is there anything significant to that? And also, let's just talk about the pers- personalities. Atniel ben Knaz, we already introduced to in Sefer Yoshua. He was one of the possible candidates to take over for Moshe Rabbeinu. Adniel ben Kenaz was a tremendous scholar, a Talmud Chacham, really an amazing person. Ehud seems to be, at least as a diplomat, as a politician, as a warrior, someone special, but also it seems like Chazal tell us great things about him. Dvorah and Barak, Dvorah is a Neviyah. Is there something to the fact that there's a Yeridat Adorot, that somehow when we get to Yiftach, it's clear that Yiftach, he ain't no Atniel ben Knaz. Then we go, we go further to Shimshon, and with Shimshon we will almost end the Sefer. Shimshon is a tough one. You sit there, you read his story, and you're like, what? How? How can this be a Jewish God? And if that's not bad enough, we have two stories at the end. If Parag Aleph, Ben, and Gimel are the introduction, the overarching, how are we supposed to look at Sefer Shoftim? And then Gimel, Dalit, till Tetzayin, till the end of Shimshom, is the, are the actual Shoftim, 17 to 21, Yudzayin to Chav Aleph, the story of Pesel Micha, someone decides to build a idolatrous house, not to God. And then, we end off the we end off the sefer with a horrific story of Pelagesh Pegida and the near civil war, or not the near civil war, the actual civil war that nearly destroys the Jewish nation and routs an entire shevet. And Yaman is left with just a few hundred survivors. Is there significance to the fact that Sefer Shoftim is 
a hill that's going down really, really, really quickly. We're not going to answer all these questions today, but there are definitely questions to wonder and to think about. I want to share with you the Rambam. The Rambam in Mishnah Torah says the following. There were three mitzvos that the Kalal Yisrael were given when they entered into the land of Israel. To point the king. And to wipe out Amalek. And to build the Beit HaMikdash. That is Hilchot Malachim, the laws of king, in Mishnah Torah, Perek, Aleph, Lachal. Three things to do right when the Jewish people come into the land of Israel. Number one on the list, the Rambam discusses it in, in his subsequent halachot, is, is Melech. Really, first he says, yeah, that's the first thing you got to do. Well, let's take a look at our little chart here on the bottom. The Jews are in the wilderness for 40 years. Jewish people then are under the guidance of Yeshua for about 20 years. Say for Shoftim, we don't know how long it is. Eli, 40 years. Shmuel, 20 years, which in part of those 20 years is the reign of Shaul HaMelech and 40 years of David HaMelech. There's a lot, a lot of years that go by before Shmuel is Memaneh, the first king over the Jewish people, Shaul HaMelech. Why is that? Why don't they do that right away? And that's a question that we have to try to understand a lot as well. But let's try to fill in the blank. Judges, Sefer Shoftim, how long is that? So we have a pasuk in Malachim Aleph, Perek Bav. It's at the beginning of the construction of the Beit HaMikdash. The Jewish people have been out of Egypt. They left Egypt 480 years ago. He builds based on English for Hashem. Finally, this is based on English. 480 years. Well, let's do quick math there. What do we have down there? 40, 40, 40 is 120. 140, 160. 160, taken away from 480, is about 320. The period of the judges is 320 years. But if you recall on that beautiful chart that's definitely hanging in some classroom somewhere in America or Canada, comes out that what is the number? The number of the year is just of the judges themselves. The peaceful, quiet times is over is at or about 300 years. So clearly, if this accounting is correct, there must have been some overlap. Now let's take a look at the map. This is an amazing map. I, I, you probably have figured out at this point in time, I do love maps. But it's a great map from the atlas.micro. And the reason I think it's so important is because it gives you each of the shoftim and where they take place. So take a look. We've got Yivtach Hagiladi, he's out here. Yair Hagiladi, he's here. We have Elon, Ivtsan Mebi, Ivtsan Mebi, because there's two Beit Lechems. There's Ehud, Eli, Avdon, Gedon, Shmuel, Shamgar, Shimshun, and Adniel Ben Knaz. If you are the, Adniel Ben Knaz, the first shofate, he is from what tribe? He's from Yehuda. Is it a shaker, therefore, that he finds himself living where? He is down there in the area of Yehuda. And when we see where the attack is, does it make sense that these attacks are going to be in the area of Yehuda? 
If you're all the way up north in Kedesh Naftali, which is where Devorah and Barak are, you're probably not impacted at all by the enemy in the times of Adniel ben Kenaz. And similarly, you have to imagine that the people in the times of Yehuda, in the times of Barak and Devorah that were living in Yehuda didn't really get so bothered. It's not my problem. That's a northern problem. We're a southern, a southern state. And so, again, if you want to start to get a little bit of a picture of what's going on, this is exactly what's going on. You have this tribalism, and each Shevet is living in their own Talit Amot, and each one has their Shofet when they need it. Do they need them all the time? No. And so when life is quiet, when they're not in need of any help, nothing happens. Let's continue our introduction with a question. Why doesn't Yoshua appoint a successor or a king? Doesn't make any sense. Moshe Rabbeinu is about to die. And what does he say? He says, God, you have to appoint, you are amazing. You have to appoint someone to lead the Jewish people. The Jewish people can't be all by themselves. And yet, that's exactly, exactly what seems to happen in Yoshua's time. Why? Why doesn't Yoshua appoint a successor or a king? Some beautiful idea. I saw, I'll share the link. There's a 45-minute shear by Rabbi Alex Israel. He gave last year at the Mayun in Herzog College on Sefer Shoftim. This whole book. In 45 minutes, he suggests that perhaps the reason why is that we had to identify our strengths, discover each shevet where you excel. You can't do that with a national leader. So everybody has their own space. Zvulun up north, Yehuda down south, Shimon in the middle of Yehuda, Ephraim, Menashe, Ruven, God, everybody doing their thing. And they're going to get a chance to figure it out. Question though is, does it work? Does this plan, strategy work? So I'll share with you a pasuk that comes up four times at the end of the Sefer. At the very end, the Paragid Zayn through Chafal, four times are told by Yamim, Ahem, Umelech, Ein, Bisael. In this time, there is no king over the Jewish people. Why, why keep telling us that? Who cares? Four times? Why do I need to know that? Because the theme of all of Sefer Shoftim is we don't have a leader. We don't have a Yoshua. We don't have a Moshe. We don't have a king. What do we have? We have whatever's going on at that very moment. And perhaps at that very moment, what do we have sometimes? Not much. We have simply whatever shofet comes our way. Now, a beautiful suggestion by Rabbi Alex Israel is that it's actually on purpose. It's on point that that happens. You know why? Because the most important thing for the Jewish people is not to think that a king, if we're like everybody else, we'll have a king and a king will make it all work. No, no. A king will only get you so far. A leader will only get you so far. What we're going to see in Paragalif is, the general theme is, doesn't work 
just because you have a leader. But you have to remember that the leader is actually an appointee of God. God is the source of your success. God is the source of, your, of, of all that you do right. Shmuel says, this is Shmuel's thesis. This is Shmuel's document that he sent to the people. He says, I'm sharing with you Sefer Shoftim. As a response, you think Som Tasim Alecha Melech? True. You have to do that. That's one of the mitzvot that's incumbent upon the Jewish people upon entering the land of Israel. Appoint the king. But a king ain't going to be all the answers. The only way it's going to work is if you acknowledge to all him. He is the Melech. I, I don't know if anybody says this, but perhaps you could even go so far as to say, by Yisrael, not only that there's not a physical king, but even God himself is not really Melech Yisrael at the time. Jewish people don't really have that upon themselves. They are living their lives, doing their thing. But there's another part at the very end. And I want you to remember this pasuk as we start Perak Aleph. This is when they're about to go to war with Benjamin. They ask God, Who should go to battle with Benjamin? will be the first one to go up. Very important to remember that pasuk. So let's take a look at Perek Aleph, Pasuk Aleph. Again, it was a long introduction, but hopefully useful in framing the Sefer properly. Yoshua's died, and they asked, Bnei Yisrael asked God, who's going to go up first to fight the Knani? Remember, they had only gotten so far. They didn't win the wars. But they had gotten to some point. They settled, but there was a lot more to do. So they asked God, who's supposed to lead us here? Says the Malbim, really, really important. Until now, Yoshua spoke to God. He had a direct phone line to God. No longer the case. And that already tells you that they're taking a step back. The Urim, the Tumim, as we're going to see from Eli, and Rashikli later on, the Urim and Tumim is not foolproof. It relies upon the people knowing what they're asking and what they're doing. So, God says, Yehuda will go first. I've given the land in his hands. Yehuda turns to Shimon and says, I know, listen, why am I going by myself? I'll go with you. We'll form an, uh, an alliance. You'll attack with me, and I'll attack with you. For Shimon, this is a gift. As the smallest shevet, to get the largest shevet to be willing to attack with you, it's amazing. So, and they kill in Bezek 10,000 people. I taught Shoftim one time in fifth grade, and uh, my students kept score over the year of how many people died. And the number is just astounding. 10,000 people, it's like not a big deal. You're going to see numbers like this over and over again. 
So they conquer Bezek. And so they capture Adoni Bezek in Bezek. They fight him and they conquer the Knani and the Prizi. Adoni Bezek runs away. So they, they capture him and they cut off his thumb toes and his uh, thumbs on his hand. Now this picture, some amazing paintings that have been made on famous, bit, and, and also not so famous. This is not exactly the most famous of uh, stories from Tanakh. But this, this painting was painted in the 1500s, 1600s, and it's on display at the British Museum. It's pretty gory. If you look at Adoni Bezek, he's the king right there sitting down with his foot on the stump of a tree. You can see his hand is right there. He's missing his thumb. He's probably missing his thumb there as well. That toe looks gone. And that toe is about to go. And if you look on the tree stump, there are um, a couple thumbs just there. Pretty gruesome. The, the Malbim is bothered by this. He says, this is not the Jewish way. We don't do this. This is inconsistent with Jewish values. Someone, someone committed a crime, they need to be killed. We believe in that. Capital punishment is not something that is antithetical to Judaism. But we don't make the person suffer. We look for the way that is most painless to put the person to death. Why are we doing this? So listen to Bazak Zayim. Adoni Bezek says, he says, I had this. I did this. I had 70 kings. And I, those 70 kings were subservient to me, and they were by my table. I fed them under the table. Now, if you don't have thumbs, it's very hard to manipulate things. So it could be that that's part of it. These kings were, were really chopped down quite a bit by their inability to do basic things. But that Mikra takes it one step further. He would throw the food underneath the table. He fed them in a way that was mevazed, embarrassed them even more. Why? Because that's his way of asserting control over the 70 kings. So they do. He says, I know why this is happening. I did this to the 70 kings. And now it's coming to me. The Malbim says, this is not the way it's done. Why? Because God wanted them to be paid back. God wanted him, Adoni Bezek, to be paid back. But I would take it one step further. I don't think that's the only reason why this is done now. Adoni Bezek's statement, in my humble opinion, makes him a foil to the Jews. He is the absolute introduction to the story. And yet he seems frummer. He seems more aware of the Hashkach of Hashem than anybody else. He acknowledges it's from God. God made this happen. They don't. Perhaps the two first stories, the alliance between Yehuda and Shimon, 
and Adoni Bezek are meant to tell us what could be in Sefer Shoftim. Imagine if it wasn't a tribal type existence, but Yehuda and Shimon as an alliance were an inspiration to the other Shvatim, and maybe all the Shvatim allied themselves together. How different would things be for the Jewish people? And perhaps if everybody was as aware as Adoni Bezek, if everyone was as cognizant of God as Adoni Bezek, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps Satan would have a different tone and certainly a different ending. What happens after this acknowledgement by Yerushalayim by Yamacham? They bring him to Jerusalem and he dies there. What happens? They fight in Yerushalayim and they conquer it by and they burn the city down. And then they go to the mountain, the southern part of Israel, and the flat lands towards the coast. They go to Kiryat Arba to Hebron and they wipe out the giants there. They go to this place called Devir, which is which used to be called Kiryat Sefer. He says, Whoever conquers Kiryat Sefer, I will give the city, I will give my daughter Achsa as a wife to him. Love this cartoon, especially since I spent a lot of time on the phone this week uh, with customer service. I like when you tell me a story for the first time. Why do you keep telling these people the same story? That's just the way customer support works in some companies. You tell your story over and over and over. But Tanakh is not customer service. It's not like that. So why the repetition? Why do we have the same story? We had it again. Why do we have Achsa two times? Why do we need this story two times? Okay, so let's let's offer the following explanations. So now it's Achib Kalev Akaton. If you dying back in Yeshua, it's just Achib. And he gives uh, he gives Achsa his daughter as a wife. So when she uh, when he comes. But to see Taylor Shul, she she has this panic. She doesn't want to ask right away, and she falls off of the donkey. Vayomer la Kalev Malach. Kalev says, "What's going on? What do you need?" The doctor Eli Tzur and the doctor Nikra says that he sees the, his daughter's hesitation. Knows something is up. So Vatomer Havali Bracha, give me a bracha. There's Tanali Bracha. Here it's a negem Tatani. You've given me the uh, the land of the south. And Venatati uh, Ligulo Mayim, I need water. By ten lakale vegulot yuit vegulot tachtit. Again, the story is almost exactly the same. Such minor nuances between the two stories. What's going on here? So the Malbim suggests something. The reason why the story here is it's an introduction to, Kale, to Atniel. Atniel is about to become our, our um, first show fate. Um, and we want to know Chazal are telling us how amazing he is. Kiryat Sefer, Ulo Mayim, Ein Mayim El Torah. It's the depths of Torah that Kali represents. That's why it's here. Okay? It's a beautiful, beautiful explanation. 
That's one possibility. Um, Abar Benel suggests a different answer. So we, we're getting a repeat of all the battles. This is one of the battles. What's interesting is that this is, no, this is not a national battle here. It is really just a tribal battle. And on some level, it's not even a tribal battle. It's a familial battle doesn't really apply, it doesn't really matter to all of, say, say of uh, Shevet Yehuda, but it applies and matters to one family. Pasuk Tetzayim, this is the key piece, key piece. We're introduced in Pasuk Tetzayim to the Bnei Keni. In Pasuk Chaf in Yehoshua, it says, Zot nachalat matei Bnei Yehuda l'mishlokotam. It's part of something bigger. Here it's not. There, it's part of the Nachla of all of Eretz Yisrael, which is not Yehuda-centric, but B'nai Yisrael-centric. This is just the way the Perak works, and it's the way the Sefer works. What matters only matters to Yehuda. It does not matter to everyone. So the B'nai Keini, these are Yitro's children, they go to Irat Marim, which is an area right by the city of Yericho. Vayelech Yehudat Shimon Achiva Yakut Achnani Yoshev Tzfat Vayachrimotav Yikachem Ir Chorma. So what happens? Pazak Yitzayin Yehuda goes to Shimon, and now it's Shimon's battles, and they defeat the people in Tzfat. Probably not the Tzfat of today. They'll call Yehudat Azav Egvula Vedashkom Egvula Vedakrom Egvula. Goes all the way out to the coast. And that's where we find the Plishti cities, among them cities that we're familiar with Ashkelon, Ekron, Aza. It's up on the board. It's up on the screen. I apologize that the Yud was cut, was canc- was cut out. But this is a new, a new theme. Vayhiyashemet Yehuda Vayorish at the Har. That's a very strange puzzle. Hashem is with Yehuda. He conquers the mountain. Why? Because he didn't want to go to the Amek. Because in the Amek they had chariots. If you take a look at the picture, this is a picture I took. Not a great photographer. Every once in a while it works out. This is a picture on the from. It's in the roof of the Latrun Chelashir Yom. There's a museum there for the uh, Israeli tanks. And it goes back to the earliest tanks. These are the earliest tanks. They're the Rechev Barzel, the Iron Chariots. Yehuda goes and attacks in the mountain. Why? Because he's afraid. He's afraid to go to the valley. The mountain's the harder one to attack. But he doesn't want to go to the valley because in the valley they have Rechev Barzel. Now, obviously, chariots are not going to do very well in the mountains, but they'll do great on flat land. So he doesn't want to go out to the Amen. Says the Mitsuda's David, what does he do? He could have, because he has a Shem on his side, right? He has Shem and Yehuda, but he's afraid. And he's not successful, I believe the Ral Bag says, when it comes to Shimon's attacks. His, totally successful. Here, not so successful. But there's fear. But the theme that's about to start is Kilolo Rish. They didn't. They didn't win. They don't conquer. It's the what happens when you leave the land alone and the people are still there and the Canaanim are still in there, are still amongst you. What happens? Obviously, the story is a repeat. We know this already. 
that lower you should be Benjamin, but Benjamin cannot conquer you you until this very day. Until this very day, it's a great question. It's a question that I believe David Barrett's asked me a long, long time ago. Ad What does it mean Adayomazeh? The Ralbag here says Adayomazeh is not talking about Bizmanenu. It's not talking about at the end of Tanakh. Yerushalayim was eventually conquered. Shlomo builds the base of Migdash on the Temple Mount next to Ir David. They had conquered it already. Adayomazeh, says the Ralbag, is Bimei Shmuel. When Shmuel wrote his Sefer, his Sefer is hundreds of years later. It's before David Amalek becomes king. As David Amalek has become He says, Adayomazeh, Yerushalayim is still, hundreds of years later, not in Jewish hands. We're going to take a look at six psukim. Six psukim, five psukim, something like that. It's the psukim of the conquest of Bethel. God is with them. And they, they send out spies. Send out spies. Interesting. Yosef sends out spies from Beit El, and the city was originally called Luz. The, the, uh, the guards, the spies, they see a guy walking. And they said, tell us how to get to the entrance of the city. He shows them how it is. According to Rashi, it just goes like this. Just points his finger. He is spared. His family is spared. Everybody else decimated. He goes to the land of the Chitim. He rebuilds the city. He calls it Luz. Why? It's called after this city. Beitel, Jewish name. Luz, the original name. He rebuilds Luz somewhere else. It's like there's a story of some guy that uh, is stranded in the middle of nowhere. He builds himself a model replica of Wrigley Field. He knows he's far, he's close enough that he can get the news, but not far enough he's not going anywhere. And every time he hangs the W's, every time they win the game. Okay, bizarre. But you want to keep what's dear to you alive. Cubs fan, lose. That's what he does. This story, says Ravie Galariel, should be screaming, screaming to us what the story is like. He says, Kibush Beit El Domeh Bekaviyav HaYikarim LaMilchamed Yerushu B'Yichotzi Yerichol all over again. V'Shem HaMikrim Taru V'Rigul Domakom. They're spies. V'Shem HaTzuot HaAm Siwa B'Tokhen Ayir Atzma. They found someone in the city to be their, uh, their, their assistant. The Gamlu Oto, that person is their ticket into the city. The Aron is with them. It goes back. It echoes back to a story that we're familiar with. It tells us great things. But they're not the same. We don't see God in the story. It is very easy. Very, very easy. 
for the people in this story to say, this is all us. We were the ones that orchestrated this unbelievable win. So possible. Not the case when the walls fall down and the chauffeur blowing. When she talks to these spies, it's with such frumkai. The words that come out of her mouth show that she truly believes in God. This guy, he's a finger pointer. Why is he doing this? Maybe he's doing this because he sees thousands of soldiers and says, my life is over. Maybe, maybe this is my ticket out. Rachel becomes a part of God. He leaves and he builds his own city somewhere else. It's a it's similar. It's not the same. Dora showed him their stories. The generation, not the same. We're going to see things that are similar, but Shoftim will be a shell, shell of the stories of Yoshua. And now we move on to the end of our Perek. The Knanim are able to stay there. Menashe is not successful. And this Pasuk is the key. When the Jewish people, not if, when the Jewish people are strong, they're able to overcome the Knanim and they're able to tax them. Win the war for money and success. Kalal Yisrael don't take the extra step to win the war. Say, you know what? You can pay taxes. It's all good. We'll accept that. Ephraim can't be Gezer, and Gezer is there. Zulun can't conquer Kitchon and Nalul. Now it touches one city, it's multiple cities. And now, Pasuk Lamed Aleph, truly. Um, a depressing pasuk. Asher loho rishad yoshea kovet yoshei tzidon nechlavet echazibechel bavet apik rechov. Look at they couldn't conquer all the cities there. It seems like. Vayeshev asheri asheri bekerev haknani yoshei aretz kilorisho. And they stay. Asher stays amongst the knani. Not knan is among them like we, we saw by Zvulun, but Asher is the minority within the city with that among the knanim. Naftali loho risha yoshebe chemesh, that yoshebe tanat, Vayesha be caravaknani yoshearis yoshebe chemesh be tanat, who lam lamas. Naftali couldn't do their job. Vil Hatsu amoribine tana, Arakulun taleredla, Amek, and the Amori, they have, they beat up on the Knani. Knani can't even get the Dan and Dan. They can't even go where they need to go. Vayola amori the Sheva Harakaras, Ayolo, Shalvim, Tichvadia beat Yoseva ulamas. Gula morima lacravima, Salo amala. Sadly, the Jewish people are not successful. The Jewish people have an opportunity to win. The Jewish people have the opportunity to get rid of the Canaan time and time again. But it's easier. 
it's easier to do what? To accept the mass. And that's what they do. Says by Michael Hatton, with this will end, the Jewish people, their apathy to finishing the job costs them so much. You know why? Because in the end, rather than winning the war, rather than succeeding and really ruling the land, they allow the Canaanim to stay. And that apathy to the Canaanim's presence really pays dividends in punishment because it's not only that the Canaanim will succeed and successfully stay there, but their attitudes and their religious cultural attitudes will permeate the Jewish people and make the Jewish people suffer. And that's what we're going to pick up next week in Parak Bed. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Have a wonderful week and keep walking in the ways of the prophet.